Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that's been tweeting about Josh Hader since we were teenagers. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And please don't look through our old tweets. Josh Hader is a rich man, Jake Mintz. I guess he was beforehand, uh, but now he is even wealthier. We are going to spend the first chunk of this Monday edition of Baseball Barbacast talking about Josh Hader signing with the Astros. Okay, okay, finally a move we didn't necessarily see coming at the start of the offseason. So excited to talk about that. Angels signed Robert Stevenson. That's a little bit less surprising. We'll get into that as well. Red Sox fans are unhappy. The Cardinals signed Matt Carpenter for some reason. Anthony Rendon doesn't like baseball. Breaking news! And tomorrow we will have some new Hall of Famers. We'll check in on that as well as some other exciting news involving Jake and Jordan uh, that we will mention at the end of the show. But... First of all, hello. How was your weekend? It is January 22nd. There are still a billion free agents unsigned. Josh Hader, Robert Stevenson are not one of them. But before we get to them, how are you, Jake? Are you are you still good? I'm good. Uh, it is cold here in New York City, but we endure. You know, we bundle up. We toss on layers. I would describe this as not baseball weather. However, did run a baseball practice Saturday morning because okay. indoors is a thing. How are indoors. you? All right. So you, you did have... Uh, did have a roof. What was, again, I know you have experience coaching baseball indoors. Is it just the space? What is the number one limit? Is it the hardwood floor that, okay, like what's the number one thing where it's like, damn, this isn't baseball? So I don't know if I've talked to you about this space we use. It's pretty great. Okay. It is the top floor of a church mm -hmm. on the Upper West Side. Okay. The top floor, like the attic area, has basically been converted into a turf field. Oh, turf. All right. So it's, it's turf. So it's wow. turf. And big, there are big time. two like half length cages in there. Oh, man. All right. So you have made up there. Nice. Oh, yeah. With stained glass windows. So you, <laughs> you, you're in this room. You're like, I'm in a church. And it's like, I'm throwing front toss to 10 year olds. And how exposed are the stained glass windows from a, like, are we, are we airmailing and, and going, you know, crash, boom, someone's paying for that? How does that work? Exposed enough that last year we did throwing practice and this year we only hit. Let's just put it that <laughs> okay. way. All right. Well, I hope that those, I hope those nets, uh, hashtag extend the netting is what I'm hearing. <laughs> now in that room, we definitely do not have enough space for Josh Hader. I will tell no. you that because we cannot <laughs> you definitely have no one to catch Josh Hader. <laughs> uh, that is for sure. We cannot go 60 feet, six inches in any direction. Thankfully, Josh Hader 
does not need to spend his off seasons in the attic of a church in New York City. And that is because he could afford to train at any facility that he wishes. And he could get fancier than ever now because the Houston Astros are giving him five years and $95 million. Now, this is where we get into messy territory with record-breaking contracts. Mm-hmm. This and is some def- great agent speak. Mm. And this- the value, the time value of money, which mm-hmm. is just like, bleh. I like don't really care. I want to talk about the baseball. I don't want to talk about inflation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to. 595 is not bigger than Edwin Diaz, who got what? 5102, yep. I believe. Mm-hmm. However, Edwin Diaz has deferrals that push his total value dollar. To, under, I don't know how much slightly less, but slightly like less. 593, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hader is higher. So Edwin Diaz is a higher number, but Josh Hader has the higher value. And that is something that his agents can trumpet as much as they want. Yes. So congratulations to them. But that's not what we're here to talk about, even though that is, of course, in the first Judge Jeff Pass or second Jeff Passan uh, breaking tweet. Uh, first of all, by the way, can we have some baseball breaking news that's not on Friday afternoon or Saturday after? I, I swear every single move this winter has been on Friday at 4 p.m. And I know we drove Friday news. No, this is not necessary. Let's do it when we're all working. Right. But I, yeah. yeah. It's one thing to like, kill sports illustrated on a friday <laughs> right which like is that also, I under, also that at least makes sense that that, that is sense. horrible but it's like okay yes <laughs> awful shouts out to all of our good friends who work there what a disgraceful end maybe to the most important sports publication yes. in american history yes um we could talk about that forever but we won't but killing that on a friday afternoon i get it There's that's like oh friend. let's yeah, yeah. We, we could sign Josh Hader. Can't we wait? We can wait till Monday. Can we not yeah. wait till Monday? Yeah, because then it feels like we can have it as part of our week or part of our work week. But instead, um, no. I spent uh, some of some of Saturday writing about this for Fox Sports. And I'm because I but I was motivated because I find this absolutely fascinating. So the money part for regardless of how it compares to Edwin Diaz, the important thing here is this is the longest and most lucrative free agent contract handed out by the Astros under Jim Crane. And it is, I believe, you the say second. Can yeah. you just say that again? I, I, I think that's really important because yes. the Astros have been good for so long. There are little leaguers I coach who have never lived in a world with a bad Astros team. Yep. Okay. Yep. And yet they have not cashed in, cashed out for the big free agent contract yet. So nope. I want you to say that sentence nope. again. So it really it hits with people. So just the other important piece of context is Jim Crane bought the Astros in 2011, um, or I think assumed ownership in 2011. 2012 was the first season when they were obviously absolutely terrible. And as we all know, the Astros story, but it did not involve, you know, spending big to get out of it. They have, of course, signed some pretty big extensions along the way with their homegrown players, but they have not gone externally to sign a big free agent at any point during this time. So then why are they doing this now? Because it'd be one thing if they would say, okay, we don't have a closer. Uh, Our bullpen sucks. Fuck it. Josh Hader. Like, we have the money. It's not like they haven't spent big on payroll, although this will now also indicate only, I believe, the second time they are projected to go over the luxury tax line. So that is also a, a rare thing for them. Not to mention the fact that they're giving up, you know, a draft pick and international bonus pool money for signing a player with a qualifying offer. So this is a massive win now move, which is... 
appropriate for the Houston Astros. It's just not the way that they've normally done it. Now, the other obvious takeaway here when you see this is, isn't Ryan Presley still on the team? Isn't Brian Abreu, who we all assumed was the heir to Ryan Presley? Like, you couldn't have a better ready-made closer if indeed you identified Presley as declining, which we can get to in a little bit. But this was not the fit you would find. You, There are plenty of other teams where you'd be like, damn, they could use Josh Hader. Ben, and yet here we are with the Astros uh, choosing to, to basically supercharge their bullpen. So... Let's begin with the hater Presley Abreu thing. Sure. So it is certainly not James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, right? It's not how are Wait, we going to get that all the- in a derogatory or in a good way? <laughs> I mean that in like probably a good way where okay, like well, there are other big threes to choose from that that have worked out better than the Nets. No, so. I know, but what I'm saying is like in that context, you're dealing with three big personalities. Oh, and and like fame. So in that sense, yes. so it's like true, you got to get harder in his shots, right? <laughs> right. There are enough okay. shots to go around. There are the innings will be there. JP France is going to go five and dive enough times this year that, you know, Presley, Hader and Abreu are going to have innings to throw. But I do think that there is a level of pride and expectation to deal with from these pitchers where Ryan Presley has done nothing but excel. As the closer for the Houston Astros, he has done his job every time. Mm-hmm. And for him to be on the team and for the team to bring in Hater to presumably take his job, like Hater is mm-hmm. going to throw the ninth. You don't give yep. a guy $95 million not to throw the ninth. Yep. Th- that would be hard to swallow if I was Ryan Presley. Now, sure. If I'm Brian Abreu, I think it's less of a thing to juggle. And again, like one of these three guys could either be bad or injured and none of that will matter. But I do think like massaging Presley, not to say that he's got a big ego, but that is a dynamic at play here, I think. Yes. However, uh, Chandler Rome already some great reporting about Presley. Unsurprisingly, but but to your point, like I still think this is still not necessarily an issue, but something to still watch. Presley on board. Hell yeah. Let's go get Josh Hader. Because the other thing about Presley is this dude's already thrown the last pitch of a World Series. Like... He just turned 35. If you look at his regular season, now he's still on a, a truly almost unprecedented run in the postseason. He, he has an active streak of 20 consecutive uh, postseason appearances without allowing an earned run. Like He is one of the best you know, postseason relievers of his generation, quietly. Because again, I still don't think people recognize Ryan Presley in, in that way. But he, he has been that. And Abreu has been similarly dominant, right? Presley's regular season this year, Highest ERA, highest FIP, lowest strikeout rate since 2017 for him. Like, there's at least signs where he's maybe not going to be one of the best anymore. And the reality is, too, Hater is an upgrade over 99% of relievers. Doesn't matter how accomplished they are, doesn't matter. So I agree with you. The ego part of it is is could still come into play. Presley has experience throwing in the eighth. The other thing I think it helps that Joe Espada, you know, the new manager... He's been with Presley for six years. You know, it's not like there's this new manager that comes in and has to deal with all these guys. But it will be interesting because I'm honestly more interested for it for, from the hater perspective because I can imagine some situations where a spotter maybe does want to throw hater in the eighth, you know, and hater is not, he's been the one that's not been okay with that, uh, especially in recent years. Maybe that changes now that he's already been paid. Maybe that changes in, in for a lot of reasons. He knows he's trying to win his first World Series, all these things, and that's fine. Um, but that that's, it's, it's also about him as much as it is about Presley and Brady. But I do generally agree they're bringing him in to close. 
Dude, Presley has allowed three earned runs in the playoffs since the beginning of the 2020 postseason. Three yeah. earned runs. Like, that is Pitching in dumbest. the highest, obviously the highest yeah. leverage against the best teams. Like, he is, and, and the different, like, he's in a different category because he doesn't throw 100, right? He throws pretty hard, but it's, it's the, it is basically like two 70 grade breaking balls, right? I mean, the curveball's basically been there. And then he, and then remember this past postseason, he started throwing a changeup and he was getting, <laughs> people were like, where the fuck was this? Like, why is this suddenly something that you're throwing uh, this far into your career as a reliever, uh, let alone? But he's amazing. And, and ultimately, it's just an interesting decision because, you could say, "Oh my!" And I'll I'll be the first to tell you, paying this much for a, for any reliever is is nuts. And and if you want to get stressed about paying Josh Hader nineteen million dollars in twenty twenty seven, I'm with you. The Astros don't care about twenty twenty seven right now. This is how you get Josh Hader in the door. This is how you kind of get back to Astros powerhouse status, which you have suddenly started to lose after the season that you just had. Yes, but no. But I, well, yes, but no. I mean, listen. You know, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to keep picking the Astros no matter what, and I'll do it again this year. But this was the first year where it was not like they are clearly the best team in the American League West. Obviously, the Rangers won the World Series. Obviously, the Rangers eliminated them on their home field in the postseason, and they barely, 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 barely won the division for the first time in years to two teams. Right, the Mariners finished the game back too. So that this is that was the sign. I again, I'll still pick them. But as we enter this last year of the contracts for Bregman and Altuve, I assume at least one of them will stay there long term. But this is this is a big year, and they are not going to let that opportunity go to waste. The other way to look at the the question, why now? Okay. There's the 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 the, the frame of thought that's like the Astros need to start spending to keep the window open. Okay. But why? I think this has more to do with a change in leadership and ideology within the front office than a desire or like, than the window closing. Does that make sense? Like Dana Brown is in charge now. He's the general manager. Jim Crane has a lot of sway in baseball operations decisions, more than he's had in the past. Jeff Bagwell certainly has a voice in the room, it feels like. This is not the Jeff Lunau, James Click like nerds run the show, let's be conservative with our money and spend it wisely group anymore. This is a new brain trust in a lot of ways. Now, there are a lot of people who have been working there forever who still work there, but I do think it's worth at least like saying out loud, would James Click have done this? No. And I think you are, that's a great point. And that was the other thing I was going to bring up in terms of how did we, I mean, this is a bigger picture theme of where we're at in the winter, which is nobody wants to pay free agents a lot of money, right? Teams have been, basically everybody that's not the Dodgers have been exercising a borderline frustrating degree of restraint and, you know, caution, kind of some of the stuff we talked about with Mike Farron last week about how teams are so scared to spend in free agency, even more scared than they are, you know, to trade prospects. But I totally agree with your point that like, it is not while the roster fit is surprising, and at the opening of the offseason, we looked at spots for Josh Hader that Houston would not have emerged as an obvious spot. It is not surprising at all that this is the ownership group and the front office group that would bite on this, that would watch the video narrated by Trevor Hoffman and be like, I need that guy, you know? 
Like that is the least surprising thing in the world that Jim Crane, who has, again, as we just outlined before, has not necessarily fallen for a free agent, has decided, you know what? This is in quote unquote, only $95 million and not $295 million. And it, and you can say, oh, it's $20 million a year for, you could argue, the best player at his position. Yeah. You, know, you could debate that, but you could say that very easily. I'm not surprised that Jim Crane was like, yeah, we're doing this. I'm not surprised that Dana Brown, who's pretty old school, was like, yeah, we're doing this. I'm not surprised that the Dodgers were like, we're not doing this. We're, we basically can't get our valuation to anywhere close to that, not to mention they obviously don't need him as – or do they need him as much? You could argue that. That's why it doesn't surprise me at all that a team like that did not end up doing it. And Dana Brown comes from the Alex Anthopoulos school of pay for relievers. AA mm-hmm. in Atlanta has been conservative and savvy with his money, right? Doesn't really spend big on free agents. He does spend on relievers. Mm-hmm. That is a trend with him. And this is, I don't know if, if Dana Brown got that from AA, but <laughs> there is a bit of a link there. Yeah, I, I would say it's more about, I would guess it's more about Dana Brown valuing, yeah, I, paying relievers. Now, again, he's stuck with a shitty relief contract in Rafael Montero, right? I mean, there's versions that the Astros just did that haven't gone as well. And that was that was literally Jim Crane because they literally didn't have a general manager when they made that, when they made that move a year ago. Um, and so that's also why there's risk here, right? There's massive Josh Hader in a five ERA two years ago. Like the, he's also, this is the other thing we should probably talk a little bit more about Josh Hader, the player yeah. is like, he is, he is a version of Blake Snell as a closer where the, the, the command has not improved really at all. And yet the stuff has somehow gotten even better and better and better to the point where he's so unhittable and he has an 80 fastball that. It doesn't really matter. And he is most of the time going to be able to just go out there and just blow the doors off opposing hitters, even if he's spraying it all over the place. That is a superpower. That does make him a unique, you know, a freak of a pitcher. But it is also the kind that in small relief samples could look pretty bad. We did not have to go far that far back to find those seasons. It's also the type of guy where if the fastball velocity starts to dip, then what is it? What is he? Yeah, I wrote yeah. about those at Fox last week about like Snell and Montgomery where you, you Snell is a better free agent, a better pitcher with a better track record than Jordan Montgomery. And I think he'll have a better 2024. But if Snell loses three ticks and Jordan Montgomery loses three ticks, like who do you feel better about sure. Montgomery by a mile? Right. Because mm-hmm. of the way that he gets outs. Now, that's my concern with Hater. Here's the other question I want to ask you about Josh Hader earlier in his career. He was going multiple innings at a time. He was getting six outs in 2018, which was really his first full season, I guess, with Milwaukee. He threw 81 innings with a 2-4-3 and finished seventh in the Cy Young. And I think that set an unfair expectation for us because as he got closer to free agency, he went to the Brewers and said, I want to be the closer. I want to throw one inning at a time and I don't want to throw more than that. And he's developed this reputation now as like, you know, I saw some tweet. Did you see this tweet? Someone tweeted like Josh Hader when the Astros asked him to get uh, an out in the eighth inning. And it was like, you know, the the screen cap that's like, hey, can you come into work? We're short staffed. Damn, that sucks. Sorry right. about that. Sorry for you. Yeah, 100%. Right. But, like, but- I, I get it. Like he hasn't done that. He has not thrown a regular season out in the eighth 
in years. Yeah, and and right. It's also funny because again, Presley hasn't done it for the last few years either. Right, um, but, but that's my, not because he hasn't been willing. Right. But my question mm-hmm. is, does that change now? Now, on I one think it hand, absolutely will. Yeah. I think so on one hand, it's like, well, the Astros. Why would you need him? You have Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley to get those <laughs> right. outs, right? Like, is 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 Josh Hader's fourth out that much better than those two guys? But on the other hand, like there are situations where those guys are hurt or they've been used, they're tired, whatever. I think now that he's gotten the big free agent contract, I would not be shocked if Hader's more willing to get the extra out in the eighth inning. Totally agree. And by the way, for those people who like roll their eyes at that, like that is absolute. Like this is a great example of where. I mean, I understand that there are, there are fans that disagree with that because you should, no matter what your contract status is, you should always be going full out for your team. And it's possible that some teammates were rubbed the wrong way by that at times over the last few years. But from my perspective, like these players only have, like this is to some degree, and especially when you're Josh Hader and you have earned it to some to some level, the ability to say like, my future earning potential is more important, especially once you're that close to free agency. I understand it. Now, maybe not. Maybe maybe we'll see. Maybe maybe it's something that he hasn't done for five years now, and we won't see him do it again, You know, or at least in the regular season, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we see it in the postseason, but maybe not. I mean, I think your point about, of course, the Bray and Presley being there should, should hopefully help those things. Although the other thing to remember is at least part of this is that they are also, they are replacing a lot of innings, right? Naris, Stanek, Maton out the door in free agency. Graveman just went down, missing the whole year with shoulder surgery. So like, they have a lot of innings to replace in the bullpen. So it's good that they have Presley and Abreu there, but you can see them stretching at times. We'll see if any of those other younger guys end up moving into those roles. So I think it will change. I don't know if we'll see it in May. I don't think we're going to see him getting six outs in May. But it would not surprise me. And I think that's fine. I think it should be like, oh, you know, if Padres fans want to be pissed, listen, Josh Hader not going more than one inning was not the reason the Padres uh, did not succeed in 2023. I will say it was a kind of absurd how long he would go at times without pitching. Like it wasn't just the one inning thing. It was that the I'm coming in for a save thing to which left him literally sitting in the bullpen for like long stretches of time, which is bizarre. Um, and that I kind of disagree with not using him at all, but I do think it'll change now. And again, he's on the Astros. Like we've seen this from the guys that that go to the Astros in recent years. They're like, yeah, this is the place where you win a World Series, right? Or go to the World Series. Like, and that's the expectation there. And for Josh Hader, that should be a pretty exciting opportunity. Who's the best baseball team in the American League? Um, I mean, uh, probably. I mean, dude, this is, <laughs> the way I view the Texas lineup now is just so different. Where I'm just like, that's the best lineup I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, I think I still say Houston. Yeah, but it's close. I don't really. I haven't like sorted yeah. through the AL East yet, and there's many good players left. So I think that Houston is more gettable than they've been in a long time heading into a season, mm-hmm. and that has to do with a lack of pitching depth, starting pitching depth, and then <clears throat> excuse me, the second level hitters. I mean, they gave a lot of at-bats, a lot of plate appearances to Corey Jolks, Jake Myers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Martin Maldonado, who I understand is gone. And it to me, like the key to the Houston season is Yiner Diaz. Here are the yeah, reigns, big I mean, dog. That's, like, that's an obvious upgrade, and but but defensively is, is really the key is how 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 well can he kind of manage? And, and again, they're in an interesting spot. We talk about the Dodgers, they have these guys coming back. 
you know, do we see McCullers? Do we see Garcia in the second half? Um, I mean, like they have more arms and, and I don't know about what front, like there's, there's a lot of questions. And I do think that the Bregman Altuve contract things are, are massive, massive deals. <laughs> like they're both Boris. I, again, it's not like a situation, like it's as far as I'm concerned, it's a, that's a bigger deal than what's going on with Pete, but it's the same thing. Um, and, and we'll see, we'll see. But they said, Dana Brown said yesterday, or, or was going to say, yeah, we haven't talked about extensions. I don't expect that to change. Um, if I had to guess now, I would guess Bregman's gone and, and Altuve will find a way to stick around. But, um, either way, I think if the Astros are not up by 15 games in the division, those are questions that are going to, going to linger, I think over the season, uh, fairly, um, which is fine. And I don't blame them for not, I don't blame the players. I understand the team's perspective too. So it is an interesting, it's going to be a really, really interesting year. Now, again, just looking at Fangraphs, just like total, you know, projected war right now, they are all basically virtually tied with the Yankees among AL teams in terms of projections, still behind Atlanta and the Dodgers. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're right there. And then, you know, I'm probably going to be the one keeping Houston. So you don't got to tell me. Now, Josh Hader has been a member of the Astros organization before. Very originally recently. drafted by the Baltimore Orioles, traded to the Astros, at the trade deadline in 2013, yep, 13. I believe, for Bud Norris. Great. Uh, so he was uh, teammates on the 2013 Quad Cities River Bandits with two current Astros. Jordan, can you name them? Well, I know he was double-A teammates with McCullers, so yes, I assume McCullers that's one. one of them. I don't know who the second one is. The other is John Singleton. Oh, my. Is John Singleton still on the Astros? I didn't even thought about that. Is he still in the organization? I guess he, yeah. He yes, be, he is. Right? Um, that's a, wow, that is incredible. Talk about journeys, you know, since since there. But, yeah, Josh Hader is a pretty pretty sneaky, just completely absurd, you know, development story. 19th round picks out of high school are, are, are already very rare. Um, and to be drafted by essentially his hometown team um, by the Orioles, like near where he's from in Maryland, and then to just kind of be shipped off immediately and become one of the greatest relievers we've ever seen on his second team, the third team, I should say, is, uh, is bizarre. Is bizarre. But he is amazing, and he will make the Astros better. And I think that is a very basic way uh, to take away from this. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll chat about another free agent reliever going off the board. Angry Red Sox fans, and I know this is going to shock some people, but Jonathan Pavelbon is saying crazy stuff uh, now that he has a Twitter account. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Uh, my dear friend. Hey. How are you? I'm great. I'm ready to talk about Bob Steve, as have, Foolish Baseball has called him. I was going to say, have you read Treasure Island? <laughs> I have not. I have not. This was definitely a reference that w earlier on in Robert Stevenson's career, people were making because they didn't know what else to say about him because he was not really panning out as a former first round pick, <laughs> just kind of floundering back and forth between the rotational bullpen with the Reds. Uh, I was like, oh, Robert, yeah, Robert Stevenson. Is, isn't, is, is it, isn't, isn't there like an initial in there for the author? Well, he's Robert Louis Stevenson, and yeah. it is Stevenson. So it is S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. And Tyler, uh, our friend Robert Stevenson is S-T-E-P-H. Mm. Mm -hmm. So they're different people. So they're different. 
Um, so that's how you the- can tell them apart. That's how you can tell them <laughs> apart. Okay. That's the easiest way. Thank you. Thank you. No I worries, dude. Uh, Robert Stevenson. Now, how do you journey or the journeys to free agency are different for everybody. Now we talk about Josh Hader has been one of the best relievers in the world for half a decade. He cashes in accordingly $95 million. Robert Stevenson, if you told me eight months ago was going to get $33 million when he had a five ERA with the pirates, I would say that's interesting. What's about to happen? (laughs) Because I'm not seeing a, a $33 million pitcher. And the answer is, he's going to go to the Rays. That would be one of my first guesses. And that is exactly what happened. He goes to the Rays. He becomes a strikeout machine unlike really many we've seen. Not just strikeout machine, but but whiff merchant in particular. The swing and miss rates, once he goes to the Rays and starts just spamming his slider, which is a very common thing to do there. And we've seen other organizations. Now, he tweaked it a little bit. It's not just just throw it more. He made it a little bit different. He's tunneling it as good as, as can be. He strikes out 60 batters in 38 innings. He has a .678 whip. He is absolutely one of the best relievers in baseball for the last three months. And clearly good enough and finished good enough and finished healthy enough. And had enough of a pedigree as a hard-throwing former first-round pick to land a very, very significant contract from the Los Angeles Angels. And in the opposite way of the Astros already having Ryan Presley and Brian Abreu, and it's like, what do they need Josh Hader for? Hell freaking yeah, the Angels need Robert Stevenson because Carlos uh, Estevez, their closer, who was horrible after the break, is basically their only like proven reliever. They've brought in a couple other veterans, Adam Simber, um, I believe Luis Garcia, one of the Luis Garcias, uh, the big one, I think, that was with the Padres. Um, but this bullpen is crying out for any amount of upside, let alone certainty, and Robert Stevenson is that. Uh, is that going to you know get the Angels fans back to the ballpark uh, in a post-Otani era? Maybe not. Does it make them better? Sure. If Robert Stevenson, if he does not turn back into a pumpkin, which unfortunately you kind of, all due respect to him, you kind of have to factor that in for the uh, people who leave the Rays. Um, but he's he was, I mean, it, I know it's not a 40 innings isn't a large sample, but if you watch him, it's like, holy shit, this guy, this guy looks like one of the best relievers in baseball and the numbers reflected that. And it's a really fascinating mix. Cutter, slider, fastball, changeup for a reliever. And it's not like he's throwing the cutter that hard. He's throwing 89 miles an hour with the cutter, and he's throwing that 41% of the time. Yeah, but and that's the, f- the slider I'm talking. I mean, that is... Yeah, it's like yeah. that's why he's getting outs, right? It's this cutter-slider combo. But then his third pitch is a 97-mile-an-hour fastball that he's just pulling out and blowing by guys. Yeah. I mean, it's he has been... Again, it, it, it happened. It was the, the kind of tweak, and if you look at it, like we've seen the Rays do it with him before. Again, the difference, the reason why you feel better about him is like Stevenson is not, this is different than, you know, the 30th round pick journeyman who they've pulled from indie ball, who's throwing 88 and is like a magically getting outs, right? This like, was with, a dude. Yeah, he was a guy. He was one of the really, really highly touted, you know, high school. I mean, this was 10 you know, 12 years ago, but when you would watch Robert Stevenson, you would, you could understand. Now there are a lot of guys like this. You'd be like, man, like he feels like he's just a couple tweaks away. Um, and by God, was he, (laughs) we know a scout friend 
who saw Stevenson in double A and said he was the only 70 grade he put on a pitcher that year, right? Like there were smart people who thought this was an ace one day. Mm -hmm. And it's a great reminder that pitching development is a total fuck show, but being a reliever is a great fallback plan for anybody with electric stuff. And that's exactly what happened to Stevenson. Last point here on him. I mean, I have concerns about people leaving the Rays, but it's even more when you're going to the Angels. And like, I think Barry Enright, their new pitching coach, he has a good reputation. But we've seen guys like go when you go from a team that is kind of on the front lines of pitching development to a team that's not. What happens is when you lose it or you need a tweak or you're trying to do maintenance on your movement on your on your motion on whatever you don't have that support there whereas in like tampa or cleveland or la that's in-house and so i you can imagine a situation where if he gets out of whack i'm less confident in the angels ability to get him back on track sure i mean it seems like the, and the angels have had a lot of internal Turmoil involving player development that uh, Sam Blum has covered very well. And now you mentioned Barry Enright. Like they, in some ways, it feels like they're moving in the right direction. In some ways, it's like they are going in circles in terms of the guys that they've hired and fired. And so I, to- I think your point is totally fair. Uh, it's just hard to get a read on what's going on there. I think, again, when you look at this unit, needs all the help it can get. I think that the Angels are still a team I would expect to continue to spend um, over the remainder of the soft season. Maybe they do end up landing one of the big names left. Uh, but it's just, again, I just look at this roster. Maybe we could talk about Rendon now, honestly. Um, Let's do but it. But like, I just think that like the Angels, I, I look at the roster and I look at the pitching and I'm like, okay, on the one hand, like, okay, of course, Otani's gone. On the other hand, it's like, all right, there's enough good players here that you, you're going to keep trying. Like, there, There's no... You, you can't, it's too late. They, they obviously missed the opportunity to do a rebuild. They're doing the opposite, right? So they're just going to kind of run this train as far as it can go. And it obviously hasn't gone very far. So um, I, I would expect them to continue to add. I, I think Perry knows he might be, you know, a lame duck anyway. So it's not like he's not going to try and win before he gets fired. So that's what I would expect for the Angels. Let's pivot to Anthony Rendon. Yes. Anthony Rendon, who the Angels gave a whole heap of money after being one of the best players in baseball in the winter of 2019, heading into 2020. He was, people forget, incredible for the Angels in the shortened season in 2020. Yeah, he was looked every bit as good as he was as he, when he finished the 19 as a, as a World Series hero. However, since then, he has been bad and hurt and unenthused about playing the sport of baseball. This past season, things came to a head where he was actively avoiding any type of media interaction to the point where he was pretending that he didn't speak English, or at least joking, he didn't speak English to avoid conversations. However, this past week, he went on something called the Jack Vita Show and said, quote, we got to shorten the season, man. There's too many dang games. 162 in 185 days or whatever it is. Man, no, we got to shorten this bad boy up. So I want to start with the context here because he went on uh, Jack Vita, who apparently you know has a has a show YouTube uh, podcast. This was like an hour plus long sit down. I don't know what good for Jack yeah, Vita. Which like, that, again, yeah. and I, I watched a good chunk of it. It was interesting because again, Anthony Renault does not, when I saw this posted recently, I was like, 
holy shit, like Anthony Rendon talked to someone for an hour. And so I was like, okay, I got to check this out. I'm curious. And the question that, that Jack had asked him was, if you could change something about the sport, if you were in charge, what would it be? And the if you watch the clip, he prefaces it. Now, again, this is not, but I think this is important. He prefaces it by saying, like, let me, I'll start you off. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this a little bit lighthearted, but I'm going to give you a very Anthony Rendon answer. Like he says that. And then he says what you just gave, which is we got to shorten the season. There's too many games. And so it is a reminder that, and we're going to get to Jonathan Palfabon's tweet here in a second about this, is a reminder that Anthony Rendon, there, there is self-awareness here. He doesn't care, right? This has been a thing that everybody has known for a long time. People, as as we can, if you want to pull up the, the Jonathan Pavlov tweet about this, like teammates, people who've covered him, people like that for years, you know, like this guy, and he's not the only one, let's say, okay, but this is a pretty extreme case. He's someone who views baseball as a job because it is a job and he is not necessarily derived pleasure from it in the way it is not a dream in the way that it is for other players. That doesn't mean it is not his right to obviously make as much money from it as possible, but as he as the injuries have piled up and as he's been on these losing teams and as he's he's had very little incentive to push his way back, he is viewed as a burden. Now, at the same time, I think there's still some amount of pride for him where it's like he he knows that people have this perception and he almost wants to acknowledge that, but not enough to change. And I because it's why is he suddenly going to change now? I, I wouldn't expect him to change now. And it is undeniably, and, and this is now Ron Washington. This is a big thing that Washington's already talked about. I'm going to go talk to Rendon and see what he needs, all these things. And it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. Regardless of the Angels record, I'm very curious to see what happens with him this year. Okay, a couple things. I When Anthony Rendon was on the Nationals, it was the same thing. But he was freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. And instead of people being mad, it was like, Wow, isn't it funny that Anthony Rendon doesn't like baseball and is yet so good at it and is like reluctantly an all-star? Yes. But now that his body is failing him, which let's be clear, he has had injury issues for a while. Like this is not someone who is, this is not Cal Ripken Jr., okay? No, no, but it's interesting. So medical, like that is why he fell in the draft. Like he had early in his career had these issues. But let's remember, he played at least 130 games for four straight years from 2016 to 2019. He played 146 games and the whole postseason in 2019, okay? He's played 148 games combined the last three seasons. And I think what you realize is, okay, when it hits, when the going gets tough and, and shit hurts and your team sucks, other guys who have a true passion for the game are probably going to do anything they can to get back out there. That has not been the case for Rendon. Not that he hasn't tried, but it's just not the same thing. We just know that for a fact. He has different incentives. When he's on, like, as you get older, you need to do more maintenance. And we've heard players who've retired, like Joe Maurer, right? The end of Joe Maurer's career, a big reason he retired early, Posey was the same way. It's like, I have to do all of these things to get my body ready to play every day. And I don't want to do that anymore. It's exhausting. But they were able to do it for long enough because they loved the game or they loved their situation mm-hmm. so much, right? Joe Maurer was incentivized and motivated to go into work every day and do this because he had this love for the city of Minnesota. And it was like, Anthony Rendon has had nothing but like underwhelming it, angels experiences. Right, right, right. And so and- it's it's understandable why he feels this way. I want to be clear about something. I don't think Anthony Rendon hates baseball. I think it's funny to say it. <laughs> I think that's and, funny. And, and by the way, 
By the way, Jonathan Papelbon, this is the tweet, because um, he was, you know, quote tweeting, uh, you know, an excerpt uh, that Jared Karabas tweeted. Papelbon says, I can definitely confirm here, play with Rendon, and they played with the Nats. Papelbon was on the Nats at the end of his career in, in 15 and 16. Play with Rendon and literally hates baseball. Yeah, the season's long. Isn't that what you signed up for? Just tell the team you want to play half the season and give back half your salary with five exclamation points. Now, that take is, is let's move that aside, right? And I'm sure Papelbon's going to give us many other uh, topics to talk about, for better or for worse, as he's now logged on and given us all kinds of interesting insight and takes. Part-time, um, we, he's like, we need part-time Tony. <laughs> but we'll we'll stay focused here uh, on the topic at hand. And to your point, I think right. It, it is easy to just say, "Oh, he hates it. He hates it. He hates it." Again, the issues this past season in particular. It's like, okay, well, what are your responsibilities as a professional athlete, as someone who needs to be accountable to some degree? And the avoidance of the media. Again, we're we're not usually going to be ones who are like you have to talk to the media. But if you're for Angels fans, like it's really frustrating. Like this is yeah. someone who is clearly supposed to be an important part of your team, and he has not acted that way. Maybe he is doing everything he can behind the scenes to get ready, but he has no he has not at any point communicated very clearly that it is important to him to be an important part of the angels. And so that that is what is Ron Washington is going to have to help change in some way, I think. So that's what's super funny, right? is it is the immovable object against the unstoppable force. Ron Washington loves baseball to his core more than anybody in the game I've ever been around. He eats it, he sleeps it, he breathes it. it is his joy. And Anthony Rendon, that is not the case for him. That's okay, right? And the two of them coming to a head in Anaheim is going to be fascinating. Because if 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 Ron Washington can't get Anthony Rendon, for lack of a better term, to care more, then nobody can. Uh, I have a quick story, Jordan. Mm -hmm. I was at a birthday party about a year ago um, that my sister invited me to with a bunch of my sister's friends. And I was like talking to one of my sister's friends, just chatting, chatting up. And I said, so like, he was telling me what he did for a living. And he says, oh, so what's your dream job? And he goes, I don't dream of labor. I don't dream of work. And I was like, that's a great way to think about it. Because we always ask people, what's your dream job? Not like, what do you want to do outside of your job? Anthony Rendon clearly does not dream of his job. For the rest of us who are around this sport, that we follow, most of us, we do it now because it's a job, but also we like it. But if you're listening to this, you love baseball, right? You love the sport. And when you see someone who is playing it at the highest level, who's incredible at it, who does not seem to appreciate the privilege of getting to play the sport, that rubs all of us the wrong way because in our perspective, it's you should be enjoying the hell out of this. Like who, who wouldn't give everything they have to be a major league baseball player, mm -hmm. right? But for Anthony Rendon, who has been this talented at this task for his entire life, it carries a different meaning. And that yeah. is unfortunate for those of us who have to witness this very bizarre experience of him not loving the thing that we would all love if we got to do it. But I do think it is understandable. Now, does he deserve all the scorn Sort of. I think sort of. I think if I was an Angels fan, I would be very ticked off. Yeah. I still think that saying Anthony Rendon hates baseball misses the point a little bit. I think it's Anthony Rendon would rather do other stuff. Yeah. He does not want to go into work every day. Mm -hmm. And guess what? 
neither do you. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's fair. And so, yeah, I, I, I've, I've kind of struggled with this because it is, it is very ripe for just the easiest, since it is a seemingly unique situation in terms of his attitude to pile on. And I don't, I don't really want to do that, but I think that he, some of the behavior has been worthy of criticism and worthy of asking for accountability. And some of it is worthy of, I think, reflection in other ways, you know, for the way that we talk about athletes and whatnot. Um, but in the simplest of terms, it's what we said before. If the Angels want to have any hope of being a good baseball team, the guy that's making $38 million and was paid to be one of the best players in baseball is going to have to play closer to like that if let alone play at all. Like he needs to play. And so that is a fact. There's no way around that. No matter what, no matter how you look at it, no matter what his attitude is, no matter how Ron Washington views it, all of that is true. And that is what we will have to watch uh, as the season begins for the angels. It might come across like I'm defending Rendon a little bit. I do want to say this. If he's on my team, uh, uh, this is not the type of attitude that leads to a winning culture, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the issue is that that was not identified. Now, okay, does not lead to a winning culture 2019 Nationals, right? That was a pretty winning culture. Anthony Rendon was a key member of that team, right? However, I think if you're going into the office every day and one of the highest paid people on your in your office is not doing the necessary work to be available, that's going to tick you off a little bit. And the last thing on this on Wash, because I've been really enjoying listening to Wash talk about um, just kind of as he transitions into this job. And I believe he went on Falter territory recently and he talked about how he went to Arizona and kind of visited with like the instructs groups and or not the instructs groups, but basically just like some of the minor league groups and some of the coaches, at the lower levels and learn from them. And he talked about how like the culture down there was like really inspiring and positive. And he talked about, it's like, I actually feel like I need to take the culture from down there and bring it up, up top, you know? And he had a quote that basically said, everybody on this team is going to pull their weight. And if they can't pull their weight, they're not going to be on the team. It's that simple. Okay. Right. Now, listen, there's so much going on with the angels that Ron Washington, bless his heart, is not going to be able to control, but God damn, if he's going to try and, uh, we are going to, to see what that looks like. Um, in, in the near future. And I, I do think, re unfortunately, their roster is in the state where it is hard to take them too seriously. But I'm really curious uh, about them in, in, in this. I, I am truly, truly fascinated. I know our instinct is to think that now that Otani is gone, they are as irrelevant as ever. And in some ways, that is undeniably true. But for me, especially with, with Wash involved, I am truly fascinated by this Angels season. So... Anyway, there's some season preview uh, fodder for you. <laughs> angels angels in the outfield, more like angels off the IL. A couple more topics wow. before yeah. we get out of here. Red Sox fans, they're not happy. And it's no. not because they have to live in the most overrated city in America. Oh, man. Oh, yikes. It is because <laughs> their baseball team is not spending the money Jake said they that, wish they were. I that said that. Yeah, Jake I stand that. by that. Whew. All right. Um, yeah. So they had their uh, winter weekend, winter warm up. <laughs> Every team calls it something different. Uh, it was not SoxCon. I know they all have different names for it. Um, basically, if this was the Boston airing of grievances. Yes. We, Con. of course, 
have been talking all off season. Okay, Tom Werner, the one of the guys, uh, the head of the you know front office leadership ownership, saying, okay, we're going to go full throttle. They've done the opposite of that. They hire Craig Breslow. Breslow gives a lot of quotes that makes him sound exactly like Hyam Bloom. All the Red Sox fans see right through that. And then Sam Kennedy, also you know one of the presidents uh, of of the. Red Sox operation was there, asked, okay, what's payroll, blah, blah, blah. He said, payroll probably going to be lower this year than it was last year. Breslow had some comments being like, we, there is going to be a time when we need to push in. Right now we're focused on the young players, you know, coming up and, and forming this core and, and changing the infrastructures and blah, 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 or not changing, but, you know, strengthening the core and all those things. Again, all Bloom talking points. None of it is new. None of it is necessarily bad. But again, when you're the Red Sox and you're supposed to be the Red Sox and you finished in last place two years in a row, this just this is not what the people of Boston want to hear. They're already pissed, you know, because Jake just called their city overrated, and now Sorry. their baseball team is telling you is telling them to basically be patient when that's not in the Boston sports fan vocabulary, understandably. Red Sox fans have a right to be ticked because the messaging from the team is so convoluted and complicated. It's like we had Tom Werner, who's the president of the team, earlier this winter coming out and saying that their offseason is going to be, quote, full throttle. And when they got rid of Chaim Bloom, a big critique was that he wasn't willing to push the chips in. And now you have Sam Kennedy coming out and saying that the payroll is going to be lower it's like if I'm a Red Sox fan, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe. What am I supposed to think? Am I supposed to get excited? Am I not? And you can have a middle ground here. Like you can re-energize or revamp your infrastructure, which by the way, they don't need to do. Like that Chaim Bloom is the king of infrastructure. He just did that. Like he- Yeah. And and by the way, this is the other thing. I keep looking at the Red Sox and I'm like, listen, in the AL East, like yes, they have a tall task ahead of them to compete. This is not a disaster of a roster. Like they have some really good core players, honestly, on both sides of the ball and a very, very improved farm system where like I understand saying like, hey, look, you know, Meyer and Teal and Anthony, like these guys are coming. Like that's fine. Like there are reasons to be excited as a Red Sox fan, but also listen, last place two years in a row. That's just not, that's not, that's not part of it. Cause remember for the last decade or so, as they've got, they've usually been yo-yoing, right? It's been, Oh, oh, random shitty year. Okay. Don't worry. We'll be in the world series. Okay. Oh, random shitty. No, two last place finishes in a row. It's a little bit different now. Now, now we're getting to a different part of, of, of impatience and I don't blame Red Sox fans at all. It's hard to look at their rotation, which is underwhelming and has five right-handed pitchers. And then look at the top free agent pitchers remaining and see two left-handed pitchers who are both yeah. Yeah. first or second in a rotation and not yeah. want to bang your head against the wall. <laughs> and I still think, listen, no matter what these guys are saying, we still got you know a few weeks before pitchers and catchers. I still think they make sense uh, for Snell or Montgomery, right? I still, in the same way, like I, it, I, I know he's a Rangers, whatever. The Giants and, and Red Sox both, again, we've, we've lumped them together. I just feel like if neither of them end up with Snell or Montgomery, I will, I will be very surprised. But, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And that way, I, I, it's just, to your point, it's the mixed messaging um, and the inconsistency, which, which, is, which is nuts. And, and sure, Breslow can go on as many podcasts as he wants and, and deliver the same talking points. And like, that's fine. Like, I know that's his job, but 
man. And obviously the bigger issue is right. They, they John Henry, the, the actual owner is, is nowhere to be found. He's been very much behind the scenes, uh, throughout this whole thing. And that has definitely not, uh, helped matters in terms of the, uh, the tension and the frustration from the fan base. On the bright side, Liverpool is top of the table in the English Premier League wow. on 48 <laughs> points with 21 matches played. Man City, a distant second five points in the yes. race. And and all the, the jokes about Fenway Sports Group, uh, Liverpool ownership, spending more in the transfer window than in free agency. Is there some uh, legitimacy to that? I, I don't know. Uh, Liverpool makes more money. Sorry. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, 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 they probably do. Uh, okay. Let's talk about, uh, one more transaction and then we will say goodbye. Um, if there's one thing the Cardinals needed, it was another old guy. And by golly, they've done it. Matt Carpenter is back just as we finished reviewing Adam Wainwright's country song about how it's time to fly. Adam Wainwright, it's time to fly. He's given the Cardinals fans all he can. And the Cardinals said, don't worry, don't worry. We, we made some jokes recently about, hey, you know, actually there's probably some Cardinals fans that are like, hell yeah, Lance Lynn is back. Well, imagine how those people feel about Matt Carpenter returning to where he became Matt Carpenter. One year, major league deal. Why, Jake? Why did they do this? Third farewell tour in a row. We had Pujols, <laughs> okay, and Yachty. Last year it was Wayno. Uh, this year yeah. it's Carpenter. Okay, mm-hmm. they're going to make Nolan Arenado retire after well, next Yachty, year just right? so they well, can say goodbye Yachty's back on the staff now. This is the other thing. The Cardinals are really get. Yachty's now going to be, I think, on the coaching staff full-time or at least more ingrained in the organization again. They're they're going back to their roots. They're basically like leaning farther into their Cardinalsness. You know, last year we were like, "Ooh, like did the Cardinal way finally die?" And they were like, "We're doubling down." <laughs> I don't hate this move, Jordan. I don't hate it. You don't hate Matt it. All right. Carpenter is here to whisper sweet nothings into Nolan Gorman's ear. Okay, okay yeah, I see that. Now, That's- if you're Alec Burleson, you're like, "What am I still doing here?" <laughs> what am I doing around town? This doesn't make any sense for me. But Matt Carpenter, one of two things is going to happen, George Schusterman. Well, one of three things. One, he's going to be fine. And he's going to be a left-hander off the bench. He's going to be sufficient and not good. He's going to be ass enough that he retires during the season and they do mm. the farewell tour early on. And that's mm-hmm. that. And he reads the writing on the wall. Okay. Mm-hmm. They just pay him as like a... You know, career achievement. <laughs> he's obviously not making much. You know, he's right. he's making minimum essentially, but it is a major league contract. This is not just like a hey, maybe you can come make the team. No, or he just has a bunch of injuries and doesn't play all that much and spends most of the season on the IL. No matter what happens, he's going to be playing that guitar at season end. <laughs> yeah, what's what's the equivalent? I don't know uh, Matt Carpenter's musical uh, music. Maybe ability. he's super into like house music. Could you imagine Matt Carpenter oh. with the turntables? Up he on plays the right. He plays a, a concert. I don't know what the what the EDM scene is uh, in St. Louis compared to their interesting country. You, I mean, I don't know. You tell me. You were there for four years. Yeah, you know me, EDM expert. <laughs> um, I mean, Mac again. Like, remember, th- this is a guy who posted 1,100 OPS in 50 games with the Yankees. Got a two year deal out of it with the Padres. Was so bad that they essentially 
DFA, tra- I guess, traded him to the Braves. They release him. Um, and he's 38 and he's, he's, I guess you're saying, Hey, remember what he did with the Yankees? Maybe he can do, you know, half of that and be okay. I think he's got to be a good hang. Well, that we've known for a long time. (laughs) And obviously the Cardinals know that like Josh Donaldson. Mm. Okay. Who I think we know is not a good hang. He's not for everybody, at the very least. Some people love Josh Donaldson. He's certainly not. But Matt Carpenter is is for everybody. He's for everybody. Oh man, certainly in St. Louis. So anyway, it's hard for schmucks like you know to stick around until they're thirty eight when they're not elite players anymore. Yeah. So sucks for Alec Burleson. Again, not that he was like tearing it up, but still a guy that you would identify as like, oh, like it'd be interesting to see him get like more playing time. That does not appear to be happening because Matt Carpenter is back, baby, and they're running the nostalgia. Is there anyone left? Who else can they? Who else can they bring back? I mean, this is the thing. It's not like Matt Carpenter has been gone for that long. I mean, he was, but that's what's so funny. He was horrible. He was so bad on In the twenty twenty one Cardinals. Yes, he went us. He had a five eighty one OPS as a part time player for the twenty twenty one Cardinals, and that team but, went to the wild card game. He, I mean, he was he was hanging out, right? He, they they lost uh, to the Dodgers, right? Um, but he's back, baby. What a hilarious move! All right, Jake, uh, let us end this here podcast as we approach the hour mark. One piece of info to mention is that tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow I believe six p.m. Eastern, we will be getting the Hall of Fame class of twenty twenty four. Now, n- this has become a day that has not uh, uh, in you know in interested me in the same way as it has in years past, but I am very excited about this one because we have four. Now we know Adrian Beltre is going to be a Hall of Famer. That'll be fucking awesome, and we will talk about that on Wednesday. Great. Todd Helton, Joe Mauer, Billy Wagner are all currently polling, according to uh, Ryan Timido's public tracker, with nearly two hundred ballots, which is about half of the. Uh, electorate already, you know, public. Todd Helton at 82%, Joe Mauer at 83%, Billy Wagner at 78%. You need 75% uh, to get elected. Obviously, there is a generally some amount of adjustment uh, based on the, between the public ballots and the private ballots. This is, and Gary Sheffield, I guess, in his last year uh, is also not going to get in, but he's at least, he's at 74%. This is going to be very, very, very close for, I think, all three of these guys. Um, I think, now, Helton was only 11 votes short last year. I think he's going to get in this year, but he's not made a ton of ground with returning voters from what we've seen so far. How many Hall of Famers will we get tomorrow, Jake? Uh, I know you haven't followed this that closely. I know that there's, I know you haven't looked at this and looked at the trend lines or whatever, but just gut instinct, how many do you think we'll be talking about on Wednesday? Two. Beltre and? Mauer. So you think no Helton and no Wagner? Oh, sorry, Helton. Helton. Okay. I'm gonna say Helton and uh Helton and Beltre. That's my pick. No uh, no Mauer. No Mauer. I, I No Mauer. See, okay. I, I haven't th- looked at this. I, I don't I know, no, no. I again yeah. I I know, and I'm I'm not this is what I'm saying. I, this is I've literally just given you like I know you have this I'm basically asking you what is your gut feeling on the voters we haven't seen yet? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. No Mauer. No okay, Mauer. interesting. Now, I will say, you know, if if you're like a political head um, and you're bored by like the Iowa caucuses, 
and how kind of straightforward that was. Well, then tune in <laughs> tomorrow night. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, and um, yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm super, super duper interested in this. Uh, and we will see. And, and, and yeah, dude, like Billy Wagner, now it's not his last year, um, but it would be nice to just get it and get it over with. You know, I think Wagner's going to come real short. I think Wagner, I think it will be Maurer and I think Helden will get it too. So I think we will have three. Uh, but we'll talk about that on Wednesday. Not only will we talk about that on Wednesday, Jake, we will talk about that in person. We can, get, if Billy Wagner gets into the Hall of Fame, we can give each other a big high five, a big hug to celebrate our D3 hero because Jake Mintz is coming to visit me in Indiana. Jake's not visited me in Indiana because he has a shitty friend. Finally, I've shamed him into doing it. If this, if it's made very clear at any point during listening podcast, you said Jordan doesn't actually like Jake. No, uh, there's been not a great reason or time for Jake to come visit me, but we have identified this week as such, and so he will be here for a few days. We will be recording Wednesday and Friday's show together in my there, house. There here. are 365 days in the year, and none of them are a great time to go to Richmond, Indiana. <laughs> right. Uh, but until until now, until now, you've all been wondering when will Jake visit Jordan? Well. Wait no more. He will be here on Wednesday and Friday, and we will record our podcasts together accordingly, which means we are going to push Prospect Barbicast to next week. We have some top 100 lists to talk about stuff, uh, Jake. Oh, yeah. I know we have Pipeline, uh, Baseball Prospectus, top 100 prospect list came out, uh, Baseball America came out. Uh, Pipeline comes out on Friday, so I think we'll do some top 100 prospects chat next week. But Wednesday, it'll be Jake and I together talking about the Hall of Fame, talking about some transactions, maybe teams. Hey, want to make a transaction on Monday or Tuesday like you haven't done all winter? That'd be freaking sweet. Yep. We'd appreciate that. You can email us at baseballbarbicast at gmail.com. Keep those emails coming. Uh, thank you to producer Chris, Chris Tyler, for producing our hero. Thank you, sir. Uh, I will go watch some Big Bash highlights in your honor, even though you don't care. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Thank you, Jake Vince. And we will talk to you all on Wednesday. <laughs>